Hey guys, you're listening to episode 20 of Sheer Crime. I'm Kenzie. And I'm Amy. And this week, we are jumping into part one of the ID documentary, Jody Arias, An American Murder Mystery. This case stunned the nation and left people wondering what possessed this woman to brutally murder her ex-boyfriend. Religion, sex, and obsession are at the forefront of this story, and it gets violent real quick. What made her go from blonde bombshell to a prison jail cell? Grab your drink and make sure you never underestimate a pretty girl with a crazy side. Thursday. Oh, Thirsty Thursday. Yes. And we are excited today to cover this case. This is a good one. This really was. And this documentary is put together really differently than our normal documentaries. It is. I really like it. I I did too. It was, it was like upbeat a little bit more. It really, it really kept your attention the whole time. I think it it goes back and forth through different scenes, talks to different people a lot throughout the whole show. So very good. It is very good. One of the commentators in there is like one of my favorite people to listen to. <laughs> so I totally was like just jazzed. Oh, for sure. When I saw her name pop up on the screen and her voice, I was like, oh, yay. Yay. Yeah. She's in all three episodes. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, this week, we are going to be drinking. Or I should say, I'm going to be drinking a Bud Light. Yeah. My classic and my favorite. And Amy is going to be drinking a Canada Dry. Yeah, I went with some ginger ale this week. Yeah. I have been having issues falling asleep (laughs) and staying asleep. For sure. It's a quite fun, you know, pregnancy little symptom that I have. Crazy, wicked, vivid dreams. Oh, those were the worst. Yeah. And so I need something without caffeine. Yes. I will tell you. There have been two nights within the past, I would say, week that I have had dreams about murder. Oh, makes sense. But in the dreams, they're not stories that we have talked about. But in my dream, it's like I know the story. And for some reason, I'm acting out the person who's being murdered. But I know what's coming. It's oh my gosh, a little like fucking scary. Vu? A little bit. like Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. And like, I remember waking myself up from the last one right before I got shot because I knew that I was going to be killed. Isn't that so crazy? Because that happens in dreams where if you're about to fall off something or if you're, you know, if you're going to get hurt. Yes. You like your body jolts you awake. It is bizarre. Yeah. That is crazy. Yep. And in my dream, I was like, nope, this is it. And I was like. (laughs) Awake. I told my husband about it. He's like, um, maybe you should take a little bit of a break from all of the murdery stuff you talk right. about and watch all the time. I'm like, oh, come on. We, ca- we can't do that. No. We can't cut that out of our life. Quitters never win. <laughs> so, yeah, this is my caffeine free uh, beverage tonight. Still a very good choice. Oh, they're so good. All right. Well, let's cheers. All right. Hmm. Mm, that really, that immediate like smell of beer, like 
I yeah. never usually get that with Bud Light. That was kind of, it took me aback a second. Your eyes are watering. <laughs> <laughs> You've gone soft with all of the... I was not ready for that. Markers. My gosh. What is happening? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> you kind of looked at me like, oh, shit. Like, what in the world? <laughs> I thought you were going to burp. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive right in, Amy. All right. So... I will be starting us off this week. Now, this is, of course, part one of three. Mm -hmm. Episode one is entitled Blood on the Wall, and we will learn very shortly where that name comes from. It is crazy. Crazy. We start off here on June 9th of 2008 in Mesa, Arizona. Now, we hear from Jane Velez Mitchell. She's a crime reporter and she is like my favorite. Yes, she's dynamite. I love her. If you don't know who she is, I guarantee you've heard her voice somewhere. Yeah, she's on a lot of documentaries. She does a lot of a interviews lot of, and a lot of the bigger like cases yes. out there, the, the infamous ones. Yeah, you've heard and or seen her before. Yes, I also happen to have heard her on a couple of animal activist podcast that I was listening to. Yeah. And I didn't realize she is an animal activist. Yeah. I mean, you've probably heard her even on some other crime podcasts, too. Yeah. I feel like I've heard her as a guest on, you know, one or two of them. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Some of the big ones or maybe even snippets of maybe her reporting. Yes. Yes. That have popped up during the actual investigations and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Yep. I know that you've heard her voice. Yes, for sure. She's very passionate. I love her. (laughs) I love her. Okay, so back to Jane. So Jane tells us about Mimi Hall, a 28-year-old who is really excited to be going on this trip that she's going on with a companion of hers from church. Mimi had met 30-year-old Travis Alexander a year earlier at a Mormon church retreat. Now, Travis had a little bit of a crush on Mimi, you know, maybe kind of looked at her as her being the one. Oh, for sure. So he invited her on this all-expense-paid trip to Cancun. Uh... Sign me up. Well, and they kind of were insinuating that she just really wanted to be friends with Travis. I'm like, um, if a guy is paying for you to go on an all-inclusive trip to a yeah. tropical island, I'm pretty sure he wants to be more than just friends. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> she's finally at that point where she's like, okay, I'll give him a chance. Sure, sure. I mean, I did this with my husband. <laughs> I made him be a friend for like five years. Make him take you on trips. Yes. <laughs> and Well, yeah, I wish. No. <laughs> but yeah. And then eventually, OK, I'll give him a shot in the romantic sense. Sure. So maybe she was kind of like, OK, it's been a year. We kind of know each other better. Yep. I know he's not scum. Whatever. We then meet Brian Skoloff. Now, he's a journalist and a crime author. And throughout the documentary, Brian and Jane kind of go back and forth a lot. A lot, yes. So they're kind of telling the majority of the story. They are. So Brian comes in and says that Mimi had not heard from Travis for like several days prior to this trip. So she was getting a little bit worried. I mean, especially right when you're coming up to a trip. That would... I feel like you talk a lot. That would raise alarm bells for me a little bit. For sure. Especially if Travis has like a romantic interest in her. You think that he'd want to speak to her... Once a day, maybe every other day, especially if you're about to go on a trip together. Yeah. That would be weird to me. Well, and I'd start to get a little panicky because he has all of the trip details. Well, he's the one that paid for it. So I'd be like, exactly. Like, I need some I need some times here. Right. Or should I bring this? Should I bring that? You know, just 
right. making sure you're bringing everything you want to bring and you're not forgetting yes. anything. Like that's what you do. You kind of go back and forth. So to me, it was a little strange that she didn't kind of raise alarm bells, but maybe yeah. that's just the way they were. They Maybe they didn't really talk that much. Yeah. So Travis had a really close circle of friends in the Mormon community and through work. So it was a little bit concerning when Mimi finds out that no one had heard from him in close to five days. So that's like a long time. Yes, it is. Right. Jane comes back in and she says that Mimi goes over to Travis's house. She knocks on the door. She rings the doorbell. Nothing. So she calls a friend who brings over her boyfriend. So now it's Mimi, her friend and her boyfriend. And they, you know, start trying to look through the windows a little bit. They don't see anything. Right. Trying to see some interaction in the house or if there's something happening. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Brian comes back on and says that they do see Travis's dog, but there's no real movement in the house. So it's not like he's home, but they do see that the dog is in the house. Mm -hmm. So all the doors are locked. They keep knocking, but still there's no answer. Concern is growing, right? Right. They call one of Travis's friends who actually happens to have the code for Travis's garage door. So the three of them walk through the garage and immediately enter into the house, which is the laundry room. Yeah. They notice an odor immediately. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like that I instantly know. like gave me like a sick feeling in my stomach. I'm like, could you imagine? I don't ever, ever want to smell a dead body or yeah. be around it or even know what that is. But I'm sure it's something that it, you can't explain probably. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, I know. It freaks me out. So at first they're thinking like, you know, what? maybe it was the dog. I mean, I have three large dogs. <laughs> yes. I have come in after <laughs> I called it the shit apocalypse, <laughs> where it literally looked like they had like 15 other dogs in my house for a party and everyone shit all over the carpet. And then they all left and just left my dogs here. It was awful. So I kind of was like, okay, it probably could have been the dog or maybe the dog got into the garbage and got sick, whatever. So they don't really think anything of it right away. So they go walking upstairs to where Travis's bedroom is and they find that his bedroom door is locked. So they're calling for him, knocking on the door. There's no answer. They're getting a little bit worried. They go down the hall to one of the roommate's doors and they knock on it. And Zach Billings comes out and he'd been in there watching a movie. So he hadn't even heard any of the knocking at the door. None of that. Which I found a little weird. I mean, how loud are you? I was thinking they were wearing, he was wearing headphones. I guess. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but I'm like. Just be- seems weird. It is a little weird. However, let's be honest. This is a house that has three single guys living in <laughs> and it. And I literally put down men. Yeah. I tell you. <laughs> yeah. So in my head, he's in his room with his laptop and his headphones because he is in his room. He doesn't have to be aware of what his roommates are doing. Sure, sure. I guess. Or maybe doesn't want to be aware of what and they're doing. I guess if you're a man living with other men roommates, you probably live your own separate lives in your rooms. Like totally. you don't probably converse as much as like girls probably would. Oh, gosh, no. They don't have like family dinners. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. They're literally three people who just share a roof. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they ask Zach, where's Travis? And he's like, well, I thought he left to Cancun. And Mimi goes, no, that's not until tomorrow morning. Have you seen him? Yeah. Like, we're, we haven't left yet. So Zach Billings and this other roommate, Enrique Cortez, 
had not seen Travis in over a week. Zach finds a spare key for Travis's bedroom. So at least they were courteous enough to give each other spare keys. Right. Which I appreciate because what if some one of them had left something on in their bedroom when they left? And like it could have started sure. a fire, like whatever. So I liked that. Isn't it just a bit strange, though, that neither of them thought it was weird that they had not seen Travis in a week? I mean, do you think they just maybe mixed up their days and thought he was literally on vacation? They're men. I yes, mean, of course they did. <laughs> I'm like, wouldn't because Travis owns this house. We find out later that Travis is the one who owns this house. So wouldn't they be like, buddy, what's going on? Like text him, whatever, to see what's going on. Like, I don't know. Honestly, I I know that I live with my husband and we converse all the time mm-hmm. and he still does not know what's going on in my life. <laughs> I don't get it. I every Thursday we record yep. and every day he will come home and be like, oh, I thought I thought you guys were recording today. Is it Thursday? <laughs> no. Well, then we're not recording today. <laughs> we're on like a set schedule here. Yeah. 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 That's so funny. Men. So with the key, they open up Travis's bedroom door. He happens to have the master bedroom. Obviously, he owns the house. Sure. And immediately, they see blood everywhere. I couldn't imagine walking in on a scene like that. I think my heart would be out of my goddamn chest. I'd probably stop breathing. And can you imagine the smell? No. Like you thought it was bad when you walked in the house. I think that would overwhelm me. I might get sick. I don't know. That... Yeah, I think I would probably that get immediately sick. just when they show us the because they show you a reenactment, reenactment of it and it still spooked me a bit, totally. even though it was not the real thing. Oh, my goodness. So it sounds like when you walk in, it's a master bedroom and then there's a small little hallway to his master bathroom. Yes. Yep. So they peer down the hallway that leads to this bathroom and they see a giant pool of blood. So Zach walks around this puddle and sees Travis's body on the floor of the shower and shouts out, call 911, Travis is dead. Could you ever get that sight out of your mind after you see something like that, especially when it's your friend? Oh, my gosh. I, it's tough. I mean, they show us some real photos of the crime scene. Nothing graphic, of course. But like even some of them, they're just so ominous, like seeing how I mean, this is a stand up shower, like, right. This isn't a tub shower, shower. like you can this man could probably barely fit in there when he was standing up right now. His large body is laying on like scrunched, scrunched down. Yeah, it is. It's it's really it's tough to see. It is. And it's really sad. It's super tragic. Yeah. So we hear the 911 call. The 911 operator says, what's going on? And Mimi is the one on the call. And she says, a friend of ours is dead in this bedroom. We hadn't heard from him for a while. We think he's dead. His roommate just went in there and said there's lots of blood. I didn't go in there, but I can give the phone to somebody who did go in there. And the operator's like, yes, please. Can you do that? So it sounds like they hand the phone to Zach, but they don't specifically say who it is. Yes. Yep. And he goes, hello? Yeah, he's dead. He's in his bedroom. And the operator's like, how did this happen? Do you have any idea? He's like, nope, we have no idea. Everybody's been wondering about him for a few days. The operator says, she said there's blood. Is it coming from his head? And Zach responds with, it's all over the place. It sounds like just a brutal scene. 
Yeah. I mean, even when investigators get there, they couldn't tell exactly where the blood was coming from. No. I mean, because it's just all over the place. And yeah. That alone is scary. Not knowing. I mean, you would you would assume you'd be able to see where the wound is or where it all happened. But with him, all of them said they couldn't tell right away. Right. We meet Dave Hall. He is actually one of Travis's friends. And he had gotten a text at midnight that said Travis is dead. I'm like, way to be blunt. I know. I wow. hope he like summarized that text. <laughs> I, I know. I'm hoping that's not all it said. Because can you imagine? Yeah. Like, what? What? <laughs> what is this? And Dave's like, no way. This has to be a joke. And he actually ended up calling the friend who had texted him. And again, he told him that Travis was dead. And he thought he wasn't depressed. It wouldn't be suicide. Like, he was trying to think of all these scenarios of how he would have died. Right. He was healthy. Like, he really needed to know what happened because none of it really made sense. Totally. Now, Detective Flores arrives at the scene And he's accompanied by the Maricopa County Deputy Attorney Juan Martinez. We get to meet Juan Martinez, and he said that it struck him that the house was so clean. Everything seemed to be in its place. He noticed Travis's body had been stuffed in the shower. At first, he could not tell where his injuries were. And they show us some of the pictures that they took going over the crime scene and showing us pictures of just the house, not necessarily where Travis was, but all over the house. Yeah. It was so neat. Yeah. Like for three men. I mean, the shirts weren't even wrinkly in the closet. I mean, they were just perfectly like in a row. The shoes were all in a perfect row. That really was weird to me. I I don't know anyone who has stuff that's that perfect. No, not without a maid. Who are super clean. Yeah, they don't have stuff that's like that. So that really stuck out to me, too. Now, Juan says that his extremities were turning bluish, purplish in color and his body was starting to mummify you. You guys mummifying. What the fuck is happening here? (laughs) Right. Next, Juan noticed that there was lots of blood on the mirror and the sink and There's literally blood everywhere on the floors, on the blinds, on the walls. Like we see these photos and it literally is splattered everywhere. Yeah. There's even a bloody palm print on the wall. It is a perfect handprint. Yeah. It was almost like a joke. Honest to God, it did not look real. No. And it was the perpetrator's handprint. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's gold. It is gold for detectives. Travis is taken to the medical examiner's office, and that's when the police decide to check the entire scene for DNA, hair, and fingerprints. Sure. Obviously, that palm print. Juan tells us that they find a really telling piece of evidence. Yeah. And they find a 25 caliber casing, which was interesting because, again, you could not tell that he had been shot because of the mummification. Right. guys, the word mummification is... So gross to me. It gives me such a visual. Uh, It does. And all I had to say was ick. And then my next question was, how does mummification even happen? So you know what I did? You Google deep dive. I did. I did. And I found it on dailymail.co.uk. Okay. And it's called natural mummification. Good. Because I was hoping you weren't going to tell us how they did it back in like Egypt. Right. Well, okay. So people can still 
mummify bodies if they want, but it's like a seven step process. And it's a lot of drying out of the body. They have to take out all the organs. I mean, there's a lot of steps to it, right? Sure. And a lot of wrapping of the body too. Right. Now, with natural mummification, it's defined as the process by which the skin and organs of a deceased person or animal are preserved without the introduction of chemicals by humans. It's rare and only happens in specific situations, such as extreme cold, dry conditions, or lack of oxygen. Oh. So I was thinking that his door was shut and locked. Yep. They may not have had the air conditioning on or the heat on or whatever. I mean, they're in Arizona. They probably don't have the heat on. But maybe being in that tight, small bathroom and in that tight shower, Yeah, maybe that's where it became dry and not much oxygen, obviously, because there's no people walking around there. Right. Right. So, oh, my gosh, I could not. I couldn't stomach that. You no. guys, I could not stomach that. That is terrifying. Ooh. Brian said that lots of questions arose with detectives. There was no gun in the residence. It was actually kind of cleaned up. Like, the scene was a little bit cleaned up. Like, yeah. not as messy as it could have been. Yeah, it was still super, like, bloody, but it didn't look like a huge ramsacked place. Well, right. They noticed right away that the bedding on the bed was completely taken off. Yeah, it was down to the mattress. Yep. And then... Travis's body even appeared to have been rinsed off at some point. So he took a shower? I don't know. There was also no sign of forced entry into their house. And again, he had two roommates. Right. If someone would have intruded into their house that they did not know, I'm sure something would have happened with them as well. well you know yeah. what I mean? Or they would have noticed something happening or a fight ensue or something, right? Yeah. Juan knew that Travis had these two roommates and they had access to the whole house. So he's kind right. of thinking, did they have something to do with this? Was this an inside job? I mean, I don't feel like he's far off by thinking that. That would be the first place I exactly. would look. Exactly. Kind of like the first place you look is the husband. Right. Exactly. And they were saying that, oh, they hadn't talked to him in a week. Right. You know, your roommates. It, that immediately turns me off. Like, why haven't you talked to him in a week? Your roommates with him. And don't you guys get up around the same time or... That is weird. Like, he's yeah. he's not just staying somewhere for a week without telling you, right? Or is... I don't know. Again, I don't know how they live, so... <laughs> well, and my other thought, too, is how do you live in a house with a dead body for five days? Oh, my God. And you don't... Because of how clean this house was, how does that smell not trigger something in you? Do you know what I mean? I know. Well, we kind of get into that a little bit. And they state that... They thought it could just be dirty clothes or dirty dishes. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, but those things and a dead body probably do not smell remotely close. No. You know what gross, dirty food smells like. Yeah. We know what that smells like. Yeah. Even dirty clothes. How dirty are you guys? Like, how absolutely disgusting are you? Okay. Like, body odor, like dirtiness is one thing, is one thing but like, a decomposing body and blood is a completely different totally thing. Different. Yeah. So that was a little strange to me, too. But again, they're men and maybe they just didn't even think about it. You know, like smells are everywhere. Like men are gross. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brian tells us that the roommates were actually shocked to even be considered as suspects. Like, um, 
Yeah. That's a little weird. I mean, come on. You live with the guy. You should automatically assume that you're a suspect, especially when there's no sign of forced entry. You live with him and you guys are fine. So that would immediately raise alarm bells for detectives. And you have access to the room. Exactly. You have a key. Jane then says that Detective Flores goes to the laundry room and finds a digital camera in the washing machine with some towels. Yeah. Will it be able to tell us who killed Travis and why? Maybe. Maybe. We meet Beth Karras. She's a legal analyst. And she comes in and says that the camera was Travis Alexander's and was brand new. Yeah. Brand new. So this had to have been done intentionally by it being placed in the washer. Right. I could understand if maybe it was in with like a bunch of like jeans or something. Maybe it would have been left in like a pocket. But these are towels. And from the reenactment, it looked like a big camera. It looked like a print. I mean, it didn't look like a camera you could put in your pocket. I mean, this happened in 2008. I remember the camera I had as a digital camera in mm-hmm. 2008. It was pretty bulky. Yes. Right. Yep. I not, mean, they, they not got super slimmer. Thin, but yeah. Yeah. They got slimmer until now we have them on our phones. Yeah. Every day, all day. Yeah. Who needs a digital camera? <laughs> that only, went down real fast. Only if you're a YouTuber. Exactly. Do you have like a digital camera? <laughs> so they try to turn on this camera. But I mean, clearly it had gone through the yeah. wash. It was waterlogged. It's it was not, not going to turn, turn on. on. But they did notice that there was a little memory card on the back and it was not destroyed. (laughs) I love Love it. Love it. So again, no forced entry. Nothing was obviously stolen from the house. So the police focus on the roommates, but their alibis check out. So who would have done this? It was too brutal for it to have just been random. Right. Right. Again, they kind of go back to the like that passion killing because it's just too brutal, you know? So Brian comes back on and says that, you know, Travis was, by all means, the perfect young man. I mean, he was successful, good looking. He had lots of friends. He was devout religiously. But then Jane comes in and says he did have a horrific childhood, though. This was the part I didn't remember when I was watching. I didn't either. So she says that he grew up really poor in Southern California. His parents were both drug addicts and they left the kids, him and his siblings, home without food often. And That's beat so them. sad. Oh, my God. I know. At age 10, Travis and his siblings finally went to go live with their grandmother, who happened to be a Mormon. And she wanted Travis to have a really strong religious connection. Especially after that experience. I'm sure that was like at the forefront of his grandma's mind. Like, yeah, we really need to instill some faith in these kids. Right. Because they might have lost all hope in humanity. Absolutely. I mean, look at how they had to grow up at, you know, the very vulnerable time in their life when they're when they're young kids. You know, I mean, that kind of changes who you are a bit sometimes. Totally. It can make the outlook or your outlook be different. Yeah. In life. So that was probably the best thing for her to do. Absolutely. So Travis's friend Dave Hall comes in and he says that, you know, the Church of Latter-day Saints or LDS, as we'll refer to it moving on in the series. Basically, there are these different rites of passages that you can go through. And one of them is to be a missionary. So at age 18, you spend seven days a week devoted to serving God and teaching the gospel of Jesus, usually not in your hometown. So Travis had actually spent two years in Denver doing this missionary work. After that two years, he returns to Southern California and finds work at prepaid legal services, also known as PPL. 
Now, Jane explains to us that PPL is a multi-level marketing company. <laughs> which like, oh, no. made me laugh. Oh, I was like, oh, no. I know. And she said it's super popular with Mormons because as missionaries, they're very comfortable with interacting with strangers and recruiting sure. people to join their cause. And Travis was also a motivational speaker. He happened to be kind of famous for his speeches within yeah. PPL and within the Mormon church. And he inspired people to improve their lives because that's exactly what he had done himself. Sure. So yeah. he was kind of that rags to riches story. For sure. And honestly, I don't think all MLM companies are bad because there's actually some really good ones out there that actually do have good products. Sure. Totally do. But then, you know, the ones that are bad, they really give the name of MLM bad. I know. As soon as I read that, I was like, wait, what? Oh, now, through his work at PPL, Travis ends up making a really loyal group of friends. And again, it's very popular with Mormons. So a lot of them are also Mormons with him. Right. And Dave is, too. That's how he met Dave. Yeah. So that's how he met Dave. And Dave says that they would go four-wheeling together. Sometimes they'd go up to Utah and they would go on three to four day safaris in the Rocky Mountains. They go target shooting, skiing, snowboarding, basically a lot of outdoor activities. And I just wanted to say if that was me, no, thank you. I, I know that all sounded way too involved. I'm like, <laughs> I'm more of that friend that wants to get together maybe once a week and like, you know, record a podcast. Yeah. But outside of that, I'm kind of boring. <laughs> you lost me at four wheeling in the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> Not doing that. <laughs> now, target shooting, I would have done that. Skiing. That would be fun. Skiing. Skiing, no thank you. Scares me. I I've never been snowboarding, but I actually kind of, I kind of want to try it. People I'd say be, they really like it. I hate snow, though. I, well, that's I the thing. I don't like snow. snow. Yeah. But if I'm super, super warm and I feel like I would be better on one snowboard than two skis. Yeah. Right. That scares me. You really have to balance your, your There's legs way then. too much that can happen. Yeah. And limbs going in directions you don't want them to go. <laughs> I don't like it. So, yeah, they spent a lot of time together on the weekends just doing a lot of outdoor activities. We learned that Travis relocates to Mesa, Arizona in 2004, and he moved mainly for their large Mormon community. It yeah. just made sense for him. He wanted to be around people that had the same values as he had. Jane said that he had a beautiful five-bedroom home. He drove a BMW. He appeared very successful. Yeah. And I did... Like a a quotation appeared very successful because I think a lot of people can appear a certain way because they want to appear that way, but you don't really know where they're at financially. Well, and you know yeah, I mean? all of that could be on loans, right? Right, right. And and who knows? They never really say. They don't say. And you know, back to when Brian was talking about how he is all around a perfect guy. I, I hate when people use the word perfect because yeah. everyone is imperfect. We all have our own vices and issues and yeah. whatever. And that's okay. But like, you know, they they just do that in these documentaries. They really, you know, they her smile lit up a room. I'm like, yeah. that will never be me. Like if I go Oh my God, no. no. If I walk into a room and I'm smiling, <laughs> someone's like What's going on? Because this is not like you. I I don't know. I just I'm not that person. Uh, now, like, if I walk in with my RBF. Yeah. Yep. Everybody knows. OK, Amy's here. Amy's good. Amy's good. <laughs> now, Detective Flores digs a little bit deeper and finds out that Travis has a secret. Go figure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone does. And again, 
we all have our own little vices that yep. makes us not perfect people. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, besides us, we're pretty damn right. perfect. But <laughs> this outs- podcast outside, is perfect. outside of that, everybody <laughs> has problems. Yes. <laughs> now, Dave says that the LDS church has a law of chastity, and that means no sex before marriage. What? And yeah. I So are you telling me that you don't test drive the car before you drive it? Well, and... That is a huge aspect, I think, in a lot of religions. Uh-huh. I mean, that is a, a really big staple. And it's one of those things that is just weird to me because I feel like things can really derail when you are telling people that they can't do their instinctual things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, that's I, I like the concept of it. The concept right. is great. In reality, it doesn't work. It makes things weird. And that's when secrets happen. And that's right. when like lies and, you know, different things start to occur. So that is just, we already know it's kind of going south from here. Yeah. Now, Beth tells us that Travis was a very sexual person. So he had broken that chastity law. And it's like, I could tell you by some of the pictures I saw of him. I'm like, there's no way he's a virgin. Yeah. Dave, totally a virgin. (laughs) (laughs) Travis, not a virgin. (laughs) agree with you on he that had one. player eyes yes. i'm just saying well you could just tell i mean all the pictures we saw even with him and jody very like kissy in her face they're very close i mean well and he never looks totally into her and she is beaming oh for sure she is but we're getting ahead of ourselves we are yes now brian says that you know he's living this dual life this mormon life and the sexual life basically i mean it's, it's gotta sad. be hard it yeah. is i mean you almost are living these two different lives because you want to abide by all these Mormon rules, but your instincts right. are not allowing you to follow that fully, right? Yeah. And so mentally, that's probably hard for him, yeah. you know, to deal with that that back and forth. And he's kind of in a sexual prime, too, as a guy. Right. right. I, mean, I mean, they peak 30. early. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dave tells us that he thinks that Travis really liked his eligible bachelor status, that big home, successful career. And it was hard for him to want to settle down with one girl because he had so many girls fawning after him and wanting him. Oh, I totally get that. And why would you want to? I mean, he was in his 20s and he was super successful. Like, why would you want to settle down then? If if that's not where your head's at, don't settle because then you're going to cheat. You're going to do other things because you're not fulfilled. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think he also felt a little bit of pressure to find the right one. Right. Yeah. And he just wasn't finding her, but he was looking for her. Well, the thing about it is it was insinuated that if he found a girl and she ended up having sex with him, then he knew she wasn't the one. Right. And it's like, what? That's such like a it's such double a, edged sword there. What are you talking about? game. But you want to have sex with them and you're hoping to find a wife and then you know, you probably get her to have sex with you or you you guys are both into it, right? Yep. And then she does. And then, nope, not wife material anymore. Yeah. It's like super weird. I, I didn't understand that much. I don't have a dick, so I don't understand no. it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hello, neighbors. Welcome to Nightmare, Nightmare Town. Town. We are Betty Boom. And I'm Andemonium. Every other week, we tell stories about... True crime. Creepypasta. Messed up history. Cryptids lore. Really, the range of topics we cover is endless. So come find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time, tell us a story. Bye! Bye.
Now, shortly after the murder, one of the girls had actually reached out to Detective Flores. Her name was Jody Arias. This is where I had to put in, she's inserting herself into the investigation. Right away. That is never a good thing. That yeah. is literally on police's radar at all times. If someone is calling in wanting information about a murder, they're going to be on the suspect list that day. <laughs> Absolutely. Now they know after years and years of seeing this play out, they had something to do with it. If they're calling to figure out and get more information on it. Yep. Now, Jody tells Detective Flores that she was just calling to offer her assistance. She was good friends with Travis. And Flores says, well, what have you heard? And Jody said he passed away and there was a lot of blood. Her roommate found him and, you know, she was really, really upset about it. Yeah. Would she have found out that there was a lot of blood? Do you think that that would have been mentioned somewhere or do you think that it was insinuating that she heard that from the roommate? I think it was insinuating that she heard it from the roommate. Okay, because I was like, to Flores, would he have thought that maybe she knew something that they had not publicly released yet? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that would have kind of been a light bulb in my head. Like, hmm, did we even talk about that? But I guess if she was friends with his roommates, she could have probably talked to them and they could have said that. Well, yeah, because I mean, they were the ones that found her. Right. Jody gives Detective Flores a background of the relationship. And Jody tells him that they dated for six months. They broke it off, but remained good friends. And she had actually lived in Mesa, Arizona up until April of 2008 and then moved to Northern California. And that was the last time she had seen Travis in person. Now, about eight days after Travis's murder, Detective Flores reaches out and asks several of his friends for assistance in this case. So several people stop by and offer their DNA and fingerprints to help with the investigation. This includes two other friends that we haven't met yet, Chris and Skye Hughes. Now, Jane explains to us that Travis worked with Chris and kind of looked up at him and Skye as being like the ideal couple. Right. Kind of role models for him. For sure. When detectives asked them if they had any idea who could have hurt Travis, they immediately say, Jody Arias. Isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah. There must have been red flags along the way that his friends were like, we probably need to watch out for this person. Well, you crazy know? can't hide itself for long. No, no, especially when lovers are scorned. Ooh. Things probably start to come out a little bit more than they want them to. Yep. Bitches be crazy. <laughs> So Brian comes back in and he says that Jody had claimed that they had broken off the relationship basically mutually. And his friends claim that Travis was actually the one that broke it off. Like, hell no. Right. And that he was seeing some of her crazy behavior already. And it kind of spooked him. For sure. I mean, I think people are smart enough to realize and sense things. You know what I mean? Just as human beings, you you can sense when people are around you. Yep. Like if you're alone. And someone comes into your room or something like your body has that instinct. And I think it's the same way with personalities and relationships with people. And that's why some people mesh and some don't. Right. Like that's why you're not friends with everyone you meet because you just don't mesh. So I think it's the very same way when you see that really weird side of someone or something that's off. I mean, yep. it just gives it clicks and you're like, oh, need to watch out for that. Totally. Yeah. There are certain people I will not turn my back on. Right. Because even if they've done nothing to like, (laughs) you know, or I've done nothing to piss them off. Like, I just don't trust people. No, no. So Beth comes on and says, you know what? 
first, the friends were really impressed with Jody and kind of thought she was the one. Dave tells us that it became a roller coaster relationship and that there was a vibe about her that the friends just did not like after a little yeah. bit of spending time with her. Yep. I put in here like spidey sense, you know, there's just that vibe where you're like, they're not what you thought they were. Well, and I think the first like two months of any relationship is kind of like that, like testing the waters. You're totally. at your best behavior. You don't yep. really show your true self, you know, especially around friends. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you you kind of like play a role for a little bit yep. until you get comfortable. Right. And that's when your true self starts coming out. Yeah. And you're not playing that role anymore. So I'm thinking that's when all of this happened. For I would the friends. Yeah. Beth says that in 2006, Jody is living with an older boyfriend in Southern California. So this is before she meets Travis. Mm -hmm. She had been having some financial problems and decided to go to a PPL convention in September of 2006 with a friend. And this convention happened to be in Vegas. Now, Dave explains that at these conventions, they usually start on like a Thursday evening with a banquet for all of the executives. And most people are given two tickets, and these tickets are generally given, you know, the extra tickets generally given to your spouse. Right. So Travis, at this point, is single. He shows up, and he's set up on a blind date and meets Jody. Mm -hmm. Jane explains that they had found one another irresistible. She had this perfect body, perfect makeup. She was perfect eye candy. I mean, 100%. She's exactly eye candy. For sure. And I think that's what made this case so insatiable for like well, the yeah. news media. And just, I mean, it went national. Oh, like yeah. Wildfire. And I think it's a lot to do with that. It's it's her beauty and that lust and that, you know what I mean? Like they just couldn't get enough of each other. And yeah, I mean, it's just it's tragic how it ended. No, it totally is. So Brian explains that for Jody, this was a brand new company, and she was just kind of dipping her feet into it mm -hmm. at the time, and then ends up meeting this rising star, right? Being Travis. I mean, he was really climbing the ranks with PPL and becoming a big name. Yeah, and, and making good money too. Right. Beth explains that Jody's childhood was pretty good by all accounts. Yeah, for sure. That she had grown up in a stable home in Wairika, California. She was quiet. She was a good student. She was very artistic, really pretty. She always had a boyfriend. And it sounds like she went from one to the next, never really had any alone time. To which I was like, girl, you don't even know who the hell you are. Yeah, really. That it just that dependency on someone else. And I the clinginess and the, it's it turns my stomach. It's it's a little it's a little frightening, I think. I and I think that's where a lot of this stems from and why this happened is from this beginning and this upbringing, like she felt the need to always be with someone. And I really, truly thought she thinks Travis is it or that yeah. Travis was it for her, you know, but he didn't feel the same way. No. And I think she's one of those girls that puts all of her worth in how the other. Yes. How the person she's dating sees her. A hundred percent. Yes. I just, ugh, I, I know I roll my eyes at girls like that. I can't. <laughs> those are the girls I do not hang out with. I can't do it. I can't. <laughs> I know. Oh, me neither. Now, despite having a serious boyfriend at this time. So remember, she'd been living with this older boyfriend for, you know, several years, but then goes to this convention. She actually falls hard for Travis. Yeah. And there was clearly an attraction on both sides. But 
they end up having to go their separate ways because, again, she lives in California. Right. He lives in Arizona. They live separate lives and in different cities. Exactly. But in a couple of days after returning home to California, Jody breaks up with her boyfriend of four years. Red flag. I know. Oh, my God. And there's a quote of her saying that she is saving herself for her future husband. I have so much doubt in the fact that she was a virgin. Oh, no. So I don't know what the hell that is supposed to mean. It was probably meant to say that, you know, she found herself in this new religion. She like she's changed as a person. I really think she meant that she was saving herself for Travis. I mean, I I really think that that's what she meant. But if she really said that to her ex-boyfriend, she wanted him to think she's different. She's a changed person now that she became a Mormon or she's going into this religion. Yeah. Now, Beth comes back and says that Travis had one problem with Jody, and that was that she was not a Mormon. Right. And I think you can't see someone out of the Mormon religion, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't know much about it, but I think that that it's a big part of it, is a yeah. must. Right. Yeah. I think they need to transition into the religion or become a part of the religion in order for you guys to start courting or seeing each other or whatever. Whatever you do. Right. Especially for somebody like Travis, who's active in the Mormon community. Brian says that Jody had never been religious before. I mean, this was all new, but it intrigued her because Travis was telling her all this great stuff, right? Yeah. About the Mormon community and how long he's been a Mormon. And it really sparked her interest. Sure. And it almost made her feel like maybe Travis could help me find myself. Jody had always been that person who didn't really know what she wanted to do, where she wanted to go, who she really was supposed to be. So maybe Travis could help her find herself. Yeah, she's definitely soul-searching. Yes, absolutely. Her whole life. Jane tells us that she became a Mormon only two months after meeting Travis. What the fuck, man? I Seriously. Like, things are happening way too quick here. Oh, yeah. Way, way too quick. This should be alarming. Why is this not alarming? I think it was to some people. But not to Travis? Like, why is that not weird? Like, I don't know. Strange. I don't know. He's a dude. He's thinking with two heads. Remember sure. that. Sure. This is what my daughter would call a tryhard. Jody is trying way too hard. Yes, she is. She really is. And it's it's a, it's a weird vibe. It's it's I don't like it. All of it's too quick. Yep. And they made their relationship official in February of 2007. Now, their relationship was long distance because she was still living in Wairika and he was in Mesa. Yep. And so they actually had to meet up and we find out they were having sex at yeah. that time, too. Yeah, of course, as we, as we assumed. Now, Jody didn't realize she was actually minimizing her chances of being marriage material in the eyes of Travis and in the eyes of any Mormon, right? Again, like we said, once he has sex with a woman, she's not marriage material anymore because they're not married and they're having sex, right? And I'm like, okay, but it's okay that you're having sex? Like, you are also breaking the rules. Like, what the fuck is happening it just goes back to something that my mom always used to say like and maybe it's my aunts who would say it too but they would always be like you know you shouldn't sleep around with everybody because why make him buy the cow when you can get the milk for free (laughs) and i was always like that's really gross (laughs) (laughs) but i mean kind of why do you know it's kind of like those chicks who like 
immediately start dating somebody and go on Facebook and like change their last name to be the same as their new boyfriends. And I'm always like, why in the fuck would you give him that without making him put a ring on it first? Hell no. Seriously. Hell no. Like, can we say desperate? Yeah, that's that's a no, no. Yeah. But in the end, they're relationship really was only physical. I mean, that's what it was. And that's really all it was to Travis. And so it ended up ending in June of 2007. So they literally had only been dating from February to June. Officially. Officially. Yeah. Now, Brian says that the breakup prompted Jody to move from Southern California to Mesa, Arizona to be closer to him. After the breakup. Holy shit. Stop right there. That is the most crazy shit you can do. The opposite of what you would do. Literally. You don't do that. No, that's is why I always dated long distance up until my husband. Because if we broke up, I didn't want to have to run into them. Right. Oh, my gosh. This crazy town. Crazy. This should have been him saying, holy shit, this bitch is crazy. I need to stay the fuck away from her and stop talking to her, block her, whatever I need to do. But did he do that? Of course not. No. I mean, I think he was a little upset about it. But again, he was thinking with a different head. Of course he was. Of course he was. And well, and she was easy. She was throwing herself at him. Exactly. Now, Jane said that Travis told his friends he wanted her out of his life But he continued to have her for a fucking booty call. Like, he continued to have that physical relationship with her because now she's right down the road, basically. Right. She can come over whenever. And yes, he likes that. But, you know, he wants to live his Mormon life and she's stopping him from doing that. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. That that is bullshit. Like, if you really want to live your Mormon life. Don't fucking see her anymore and stop having sex with women. I know. Hello. Like, it starts with you. Like, I'm not victim blaming. But if we're looking at it from both sides of the coin here, come on. You can't say that well, you want it. it's not always one person's fault. Right. There's I think clearly... there's both, both actions on both sides here. Well, and Travis's friend Dave even says something to the effect of Jody was luring him in with sex because he like you said, wanted this moral life, but it would be hard to do because she would sneak over in the middle of the night and crawl naked into his bed. Give me a fucking break. That's literally what I wrote. I said, give me a break. I'm like, it can't just be one person doing this. Like, right. Oh my God. I get that he is the victim and what happened to him was horrible and tragic. Should never have happened. Should never have happened. And she deserves everything that came for her. Of course. Absolutely. She was nuts. When we are talking about this specific situation, all of his friends are saying that it was all Jody's fault. Yeah. She just kept coming over naked and wanted him to have sex with her. And he just couldn't say no. I'm like, come on, give me a break. It's such an Adam and Eve in the garden. I don't like it. Situation. I don't like it. Because, again, two to tango here. Like, he was a part of that, too. So Mm -hmm. he could have definitely cut it off a lot earlier than he had. And even when he did cut it off, he was still going back for more. So what is that telling her? And and what is that? (laughs) And what's that telling her? Right. Right. Like, maybe they can make things work. Yeah. Right. It's giving her mixed signals. And as a clearly a crazy person, insane, I mean, literally insane, it's putting fuel on her fire for sure I, well and brian comes back and says that jody tells detective flores that travis didn't have the same love for her and she knew that he was seeing other women so 
she told Detective Flores that she decided to move back to Wairika in April of 2008 to start a new life. Well, I mean, that's the smartest thing she's done so far. I don't know why she moved there in the first place. That right there is fucking crazy to me. My thought was, did he say anything about the distance being a problem? If he ever made mention of that, that would have immediately given her a reason. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that he said that because that's not brought up, but it would be a bit of an explanation. It, It would. But again, now that she's moving back to Wairika, is this giving her an alibi because she knows what she wants to do to him and what she plans on doing to him? Because it was only two months earlier. Right. Yeah. So Beth comes back on and tells us that Detective Flores has all of his friends pointing the finger at Jody, but she claims to have not have seen him since April. So Detective Flores needs to figure out where Jody was before and after the murder. Mm hmm. So there's a phone call between Detective Flores and Jody, and she says to him, I know that I talked to him early in the morning. It was about a 45 minute call. By the way, I'm paraphrasing here that he knew she was taking a road trip that weekend and that he was, quote, kind of guilting me because she wasn't going to Arizona, but instead going to Utah. She hadn't told Travis primarily the reason for this road trip was to go meet somebody else, another guy. I loved that she had to mention that, oh, Travis guilted me. He wanted me to come, but I never went. I never went to Arizona. It's like, of course, you're trying to give yourself an alibi. You keep bringing up the fact that, oh, I never went to Arizona. I have no reason to go to Arizona, you know? Yeah. Oh, Jody, we're seeing behind those words there. I know. So she also tells Detective Flores that even though they were still friends after they broke up, that they weren't totally open about their dating lives with each other, that they decided it was best not to give each other all of those details due to the past, which. Okay. It's a great, that's a great plan. (laughs) Great plan. So Jane says that Jody heads up to Salt Lake city for a PPL convention. And she's set to meet up with a new love interest, Ryan Burns. Now, according to Jody, She left Northern California on June 2nd, then headed to Southern California to visit some friends, arriving in Salt Lake City on June 5th, the day after Travis was murdered. Flores makes a call to Ryan Burns Mm -hmm. to follow up on this story. Yes, he does. Ryan Burns says that Jody arrives at his home in the Salt Lake City area around 11 a.m. on June 5th, 2008, that she appears happy Nothing seems to be wrong. Nothing out of place. Yeah, she seems normal. But Ryan mentions something that grabs Detective Flores' attention. Mm -hmm. Her hair had been a completely different color than the last time that they had been together. So she had been this blonde bombshell before and shows up to his house now as a brunette. She also had cuts on her fingers that she claimed she had gotten from bartending. Oh, my. Now, that seems odd to detectives. And honestly, that's fucking odd to me. Now, we were hairstylists. Right. If you showed up to my house with a bunch of little cuts all over your fingers, I literally would not bat an eye. Right. (laughs) But if you were a bartender and showed up, I'd be like, holy God, what happened? Like, what'd you do? Seriously. Because that's not, what are you doing back there? Maybe one cut. Maybe, maybe one cut from from cutting fruit or whatnot, right? To put on glasses, but multiple cuts, multiple on cuts? multiple fingers. What is she doing? Like practicing bottle flipping? And they're, I mean, yeah. seriously, nope. doesn't make sense. Doesn't track. 
The problem is, is that she is in Salt Lake City because people see her there. So it checks out. Sure. So she is there. Jane comes on to say that it seems at this point that nothing places Jody at the crime scene. But, but <laughs> they are able to get that camera that yes, they found they in the are. washing machine back to a crime lab and they are able to recover photos off of it. Dun, dun, dun. dun. We're now at July 14th of 2008 and Detective Flores is traveling to Wairika, California. He had uncovered shocking new evidence that implicates Jody Arias in Travis Alexander's death. I love this. This is bananas. The best. Yeah. Holy shit. Like you can't get a better smoking gun than this. No. You can't. You can't even make this shit up. No. Like this is too good. This, I mean, she's a goddamn idiot. Are you kidding me? Like, you fucking put a camera and leave the goddamn memory card in it? Like, it's gold. It is fucking gold. I'm just saying, dyeing your hair brunette does not give you bigger brain cells. <laughs> I mean, even if they didn't have the camera, I think they still would have been able to implicate her from For all sure. the other DNA, her handprint, all that other stuff. But this is, is pretty fucking cool. Well, I think what it does is it completely makes it... I think what it does is it doesn't give her an explanation on how it happened. And it puts the entire story together. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's play time play stamped. Play, play. Yeah. yeah. The next day, Jody and Detective Flores finally meet and have their first interview. Yeah. We meet Nathan Mendez. He was a former detective with the Siskiyou County Police Department. And he went into the viewing room after Jody went into the interview room to watch the interrogation. I'm like, oh, I want to fucking do I that. I want a viewing room. <laughs> How can we get to do that? I don't know. But can that we take a field so trip? Fun. I know. <laughs> All right, everybody, get your parents to sign off. <laughs> it's for the podcast. <laughs> now, Flores inquires about Jody's alibi. She said again that she went from Wairika to Santa Cruz, then to Monterey. Then the next day, she drove to Pasadena. She was supposed to take Highway 15 all the way up to Salt Lake, but somehow got off. For a while, she was lost, and she said, I'm not above sleeping in the car, so I slept a while. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? What, is it bad to sleep in your car? Like, she's making it sound like that's such a low thing to do. It's like, people do that all the time. I mean, as a, as a single woman on a road trip, there is no fucking way I would do it. Absolutely not. However, the other thing that's really interesting about this, because on the documentary, they show a map. Wairika, California to Salt Lake City, is basically a straight shot mm -hmm. east. She goes from Northern California down to Southern California, which is right next to Arizona, and then decides to go from Southern California up to Utah to go to Salt Lake City. Right. And I think she was using that meeting her friends thing and as for a the timeline. reason as why she was down that direction. But for her to say that she was supposed to stay on the highway the whole time, but somehow got off. Somehow like, got off of it? What? You're driving the vehicle. You know if you fucking get off on a ramp, an exit ramp. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I could see missing your exit, it was, but not randomly getting off the it highway. It was so weird. It I, was super it, weird. And it was stupid. Like, her story fell apart right at that moment. Like, yeah. that sounded dumb. When she says something about being, like, a heavy sleeper and how she sleeps a lot, and I'm like... What again, the hell does that have to do with this? I think she's trying to put a timeline together because, again, yeah. they had her away 
for like 48 hours, right? Mm -hmm. So they had to account for all of that time. Like how long could she have been gone and if she could have had the time to do it, right? Yeah. Now, Nathan Mendez says that she was offering lots of information. Like she never questioned why she was even at the police station. She never thought twice about it. She never even thought that she was could have been a suspect. She even offers to draw them a map of where she thinks she got off of Highway 15. Yeah, it, it was it was a little scary to watch her because she showed no signs of worry or stuttering or, you know, any signs of like, oh, like, yeah. this is kind of scary. No, she was cool as a cucumber the entire time. Yeah. I found it interesting that she made sure to state that she never went near Mesa. Like, yeah, as she was like depicting where she was going. She's like, oh, but I never even went near Mesa. Yeah. I'm like. That's a weird thing to say. A little bit weird. Especially if you're if you're not going there, you're not even going to list it off. Like, it'd be like, I'm going to St. Paul, but I never went to Minneapolis, even though I was going to St. Paul. You know what I mean? Like, it just, why yeah. would I bring that up? It just doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Then I'd be like, wait a minute. Right. Now, she said that the trip took 48 hours, like I had stated. And Detective Flores says, the trip took you 48 hours, and I have a problem with it. He said, even if you slept for 10 hours, that leaves you with 18 hours. And that's when Travis was killed. Yep. And Jane Mitchell comes back and says that Flores tells her that she had the opportunity to do it and still make it to Salt Lake. I mean, she could have committed the crime and driven to Salt Lake City still in that 18 hour time frame. Oh, yeah. And still it was totally there doable. 11 a.m. Yeah, it, exactly. Now, Flores, during the interrogation, looks at Jody and says, OK. You need to be honest with me now. And Jody's like, I was not at Travis's. And Detective Flores says, we have your blood at the scene. Yep. Then Juan Martinez comes back and tells us that Jody had been one of the people to volunteer her DNA at the beginning of this murder case. I'm like, yep. What a dumb bitch. Like, she actually thought there was no way they were catching her. I mean, at this point, after we hear all of this, Mentally, there has to be something missing there. There has to be something going Maybe. on. I mean, come on. Like, is, it, is she just that delusional? I think she might just have it in her head that, like, of course, we were a couple for a while. So you're going to find my stuff at the, his house anyway. So I think she thinks that that is going to be explained away because of that connection that they had. And that she would not be looked at simply because she offered to help out and offered all of these things. But the camera, leaving the memory card, she has photo, naked photos of herself. I'm like, she's a idiot. Why wouldn't she take the camera with her? You know, like what in the world? And like her big ass handprint on the wall. Like <laughs> what in the world? Now, back to Flores. He says that we have your hair with blood at the scene and your left palm print at the scene. In Jody, blood. <laughs> in blood. Right. And Jody goes, oh, I can explain the blood in my hair. And she goes, there's hair all over this house. I mean, I can totally explain that away. But she says that she can't explain the palm print. (laughs) Okay. It's like, okay, so if you can't explain everything, there's an issue. There's an issue. So Jane comes back on to say that no matter what Detective Flores throws at her, Jody always has an answer but maintains that she was nowhere near Travis that night. Of course. All of these things must have been there before. During the interview, Detective Flores says to Jody, you were at the house. You had a sexual (laughs) encounter. 
there's pictures, as you know, and I have them. Would you like to see them? I could tell at this point he is getting irritated. A little bit. Because he's like, hello, we have a ton of evidence on you. And right now he just wants that confession. He wants her. He knows it's her. Yes. they. I mean, yeah. There's no doubt about it. And he has way more than enough evidence to take her to trial. But he really wants that confession. And she is just... She has an answer. Every single thing can be explained away, but that fucking palm print. I know. How can you explain that away that you weren't there when he died? Like what? Oh my God. It it, it is mind blowing. It's mind blowing. So detective Flores comes back with the pictures and he says, do you want to see these? I can show you. And Jody goes, well, I mean, I am curious. What? I, I was like, huh? I'm sure she wanted to see. What evidence they really had. Potentially, right? Yeah. I mean, she wanted to see if they actually had something and, and kind of test them a little bit. Yeah. So the first thing they show is like a picture of Travis's face in the shower, kind of modelly. It is the infamous Travis, like, last photo, basically. Like, or what it's assumed to be one of his last photos that was taken yeah. of him alive. And it is, it's really ominous. Well, it's ominous when you because you know what it is. Yes. But he's just standing in the shower, staring out of it, and there's like water droplets on him. I mean, it looks like they're trying to do like a little photo shoot. Yes. So sh- he starts showing her these photos and he says, you know, here's some more naked pictures of Travis. And Jody goes, oh, Travis would never go for that. <sighs> like, why would you say something like you that? You fucking took the photos. It's <sighs> no, she's a fucking idiot. She and she's trying to convince Detective Flores that he's an idiot. Well, and that it wasn't her that right. took these photos. So Jane says, yeah, like there's all these model like pictures He's dripping in water. He's posing in all of them. They're all date and time stamped at approximately 5.30 p.m. June 4th. What's probably even more telling is the series of photos of Travis taken before he's posing in the shower. Mm -hmm. So Jane says in one photo, Jody is completely naked and just laying there on the bed with braids in her hair. And in another one, Travis is naked with a big bottle of lubricant next to him. (sighs) Which... It just has a little graphic. I had to giggle because I'm like, she's only 27. What the fuck you need all the lubricant for? But anyway, (laughs) maybe they're having some some other anal too. Well, I guess if it's anal, it's not really sex, right? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) But still, she argues with the evidence. So Detective Flores looks at her and he goes, so you're sticking to your story. And Jody's like, to me, pictures are very compelling. I know that they could be modified, though, and altered. And I don't know, maybe the date and time could have been tampered with. Who knows? She literally believes that these can be explained away. I hate all of that. I know. I hate when she says shit like that. Because she even says at one point, oh, yeah, that does look like me. The fuck? Yeah, it it is is you. you. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) So then... Listener note, if you guys hear anything in the background, we, again, are in Minnesota. (laughs) We had a blizzard today during this morning, and my husband just got home and he's outside snowblowing. So if you've never heard a snowblower, this is what they sound like. Yes, it is. It kind of sounds like a motorcycle a little bit in the background. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. I like that. That That's what I literally thought of, and I'm like, wait a second. There is about six to eight inches of snow on the ground. No (laughs) one's taking the motorcycle out. Oh, I love it. 
So then he shows her a photo taken of her during the murder. Oh, and this was so creepy. It actually took me a little bit. To realize to, what it was. Oh, I literally, and it, it kind of freaked me out to like keep staring at the photo because I'm like, what am I going to see? Because I, then I saw Travis's foot. Yeah. I saw the back of his head. And then you're literally staring at a foot and a pant leg. Yeah. But it took me probably five minutes to realize what it was to figure out what it was because it's so out of context it is it is a weird and, photo and it's taken accidentally correct so basically detective flores says you know these pictures the camera was taking by accident it yeah. kind of kept going off and he says you know that's your foot jody those are your pants and that's travis and she's like well that's his bathroom that is not my foot Detective Flores has a solid case, as we mentioned, with all of the evidence. But at this point, I mean, again, he just really wants a confession. For sure. So he says to her, you can tell me all night it wasn't you, but there's no doubt in my mind it was you. (laughs) Jody says there's no reason for it. There's no reason I would ever want to hurt him. With no other choice, Detective Flores reads Jody her rights. Jody is arrested for the murder of Travis Alexander. Her behavior afterwards is some of the most bizarre behavior that Jane Mitchell has ever seen from somebody who has just been arrested. We're seeing video footage of her left in the interview room by herself right after she's had her rights read to her. And we see all of a sudden she stands up and she goes over to the wall and she does a headstand against the wall. Yeah. Then she's singing, Oh, Holy Night, singing as if she's auditioning for the voice. Oh, my God. It was bizarre. It was super bizarre. Then she starts humming a little bit. And then at one point, she's sitting in the chair. She's got her knees pulled up to her chest. And she's kind of got her head down in between her knees. And you can hear her kind of whisper, still hate me. And then she kind of giggles and says, brat. And I was like, oh, my God. That's fucking scary. I was spooked the fuck out. That was scarier than like a ghost encounter to me. It was. Oh, my. That is weird behavior. That is fucking weird. Well, and I was like, still hate me. My thought was, was that did like Travis say one time like, oh, 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 nope, I don't like it. Jane notices that, you know, she's kind of emotional when Flores is in the room or at least like seeming emotional, like she's really worried about the situation, not emotional, like crying. But then as soon as he walks out of the room, she shuts it off. It's weird. Oh, she is so fake. All of it is so fake. She's something. Brian even says that most suspects in a murder case are distraught or worried, you know, what will happen to them, especially after their rights are read. I mean, oh, you yeah. know something's going down at that point. Yeah. But Jody was really only concerned about her makeup. Yeah. Nathan then tells us that she even asked how her hair looked before getting photographed. And she gave this grin. And we see her mugshot. And it's like she's posing for like a photo shoot. Like it looks like a selfie that you would post on Instagram. My God, it is. It's so demented. Yeah, I don't like it. There's something wrong there. Yeah. I mean, I think it really points to how shallow she really is. Oh, for sure. And she even said that in the interview room. She's like, oh, I know this is going to sound really shallow, but is there any way that I can look at my makeup or fix my makeup? I'm like, yeah, bitch, you are going to jail. Like, (laughs) What are you talking about? Like. 
no one's going to give a shit. Fucking Detective Flores is not going to let you go fix your goddamn makeup. Give me a break. Although Pearl Fernandez got tons of makeup in jail. So maybe there's something to this. (laughs) I think instead, if we ever are going to be arrested for murder or something like that, we need to like have a stash of makeup, you know, like. Oh, yeah. yeah Shove yeah. that up a, up a hole somewhere <laughs> so that at least we can look good for our mugshot. There you go. There yeah. you go. The next day, the interrogation continues, but a new tactic was deployed. And they were going to utilize a woman detective to see if maybe Jody would want to open up a little bit more, explain a little bit more with a woman, right? Woman to woman. Sure. A little bit more connection, right? And compassion. Yeah. The female officer was really playing to Jody's humanity, right? That woman to woman, like we just stated. Yeah, almost kind of motherly, like. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, really talking Jody up. I mean, you know, you're so caring. We know you're intelligent and spiritual, but Jody completely shut down. Oh, yeah, she didn't say she a fucking word. Didn't say anything to her. She ends up telling the woman detective that she wants to talk with Flores again because, and I quote, he has been in contact with Travis's family a lot. What? Creep. Creep. Again, I mean, she's obsessed. She's completely obsessed with Travis. I mean, and uh, it's so weird. We clearly learn that Jody is able to open up a lot better with men. I mean, I could have told you that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, just how much she's relied on men her whole life with all of her boyfriends and everything like that. It doesn't surprise me. No. And my guess is she doesn't have a ton of female friends. No. I bet she can't stand the competition. Oh, I, 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 I highly doubt she could ever. And any woman with a brain would not be allowed, like, would not be no, able to handle being around her. Not at all. No. Not at all with her erratic behavior. And oh, God. Really, oh, she is nuts. She's nuts. No, she's nuts. Now, Flores just tries to ask questions to get her to open up a bit more. He's, he's just trying different things to figure out a way to get her to talk. Yeah. Now, he even asked, you know, did Travis know you were coming? And Jody says that she did end up going to Travis's house and got there at around 3 o'clock a.m. They ended up going to bed, then woke up in the afternoon the next day to have sex. And Flora says, well, what went wrong? Were you guys alone? And Jody says, it's better if everyone thinks that. And Detective Flora goes, are you protecting somebody else? Jody then says, I'll tell you everything I know or that I remember. I turned around. A girl and a guy were there. And they killed Travis. End scene. End part one. (laughs) Yeah. And that's it. That's how the episode ends. That is how it ends. And we can't wait for part two and part three because we finally like get into these details of, okay, she wasn't with him at all. Never went to Mesa, Arizona. Now, all of a sudden, it's an intruder and they killed Travis and left her alive. Yeah. Interesting. But none of them showed up on the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh, so the plot thickens right or does it i think really it's just her bullshit story (laughs) thickens for sure so we've only been told so far of her biological dna being found at the scene i truly doubt that another guy and woman in this room was even a thing no way i just think it's her attempt at pointing the finger elsewhere again and to change her story because yep. her first story doesn't make sense anymore and she's realizing it. So now she needs to switch gears yep. and figure out a way now. OK, I have to be there, but how can I not be implicated? How can I not be the only one to? Correct. Yeah. Well, we have two more episodes on this series, so I guess you'll all have to tune in next week. Yeah. Wink, wink. Yeah. So if you have a minute, 
go out there, rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever you are able to rate and review. Mm-hmm. We would love it, even if it's just a one-liner. Yes, it really, really helps our ratings, and hopefully other true crime fanatics will want to listen to our podcast, too. Absolutely. If you have any requests, you can always send those to us at requests at sheercrimepodcast.com. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter. We're out there at sheercrimepod. You can find us on Instagram at sheer underscore crime underscore podcast. And of course, join us on Facebook with the Sheer Crime Podcast Discussion Group. We're out there sharing memes. I love it. I know. It's my favorite true crime group now. It's so much fun. (laughs) People are being interactive. It's a good time had by all. Yes, it is. In the meantime, have a good week. We'll see you next Wednesday with a new episode. And as always... Don't forget, never run with scissors. Bye, guys. See ya.